Hey, it's Mindy. I wanted to let you know that my Heart Path Retreat is coming up and you are not going to want to miss it, especially since this year you can attend from the comfort of your own home. This is the 2020 special, right? <laughs> this is actually going to be the 10th Heart Path, but the first time ever that we are doing a live virtual experience. Learn more at heartpathretreats.com. Get registered today and you will get more clarity, more courage, and more conviction by learning how to get out of your head and into your heart. I cannot wait to see you there. Heartpathretreats.com. All right, all right, let's get to the show. Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Jeremy Weiss. Jeremy, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation, especially because you and I have something very much in common, and I haven't had this with any of my other guests, and I can't wait to talk to you about this. It is that we grew up almost as next-door neighbors. We probably walked by each other several times growing up. (laughs) We must have. So the backstory for our listener is that Jeremy and I grew up in neighboring towns, went to neighboring high schools. I think, Jeremy, you were just maybe a year behind me in high school, so very close in age. We actually worked in the same little strip mall for a time. It's pretty random. Yeah. You were at the arcade, right? I worked at an arcade. <laughs> and I was at uh, Played Against Sports, talking used equipment. Which is so great to where we are now. <laughs> I still go back to that complex and I think of you and I go in, now I go into that arcade. My, I mean, I do have my kids with me, but I would go by myself too. You would? Yeah, of course. I love video games. I, yeah. I mean, I never loved video games, but I became very good at video games from working there. So... <laughs> Really? Okay. Oh, okay. So this is a great story, Jeremy. You will love this. So you know me, like I'm pretty petite. So I go off to college, right? After having worked at that arcade and our, our dorm rooms or whatever, we're doing an event for the freshmen. So we all go to this somewhere where there's arcade games. And this guy is kind of like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, do you want to play an arcade game? And I'm thinking, I will kick your ass. <laughs> I mean, there will be no hope for you. But of course, I don't. Look- I like that mentality. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look like the type of person that is, you know, that would be amazing at video games. So I'm kind of standing by my particular best video game, which happened to be Street Fighter 2. <laughs> I was going to guess Mortal Kombat, but yeah. I, I did play Mortal Kombat, but no, Street Fighter 2 was my, was my jam. And so I'm hanging out by that game and he was like, do you want to play? I said, sure. Anyway, there was no hope for him. Like, let's just say I, cr- I knew all the fancy moves and I crushed it. And anyway, he, we ended up dating for almost four years. I think he was very impressed with my video game skills. You should have hustled people like stood there like, oh, why don't we bet on the next one? You know? And well, I think they knew after the, the first round. So anyway, yeah. all that is to say, here's what I want to talk to you about. We grew sure. up very, very, very close in, in location. And I feel like, and I talk about this a lot on the show, I feel like that area or that space influenced my 
ideas about wealth mm. a lot. Mm. How so? Well, I saw that space. Well, let me ask you. How? Let me start yeah. with you because these people they know me. <laughs> they yeah. Know my stuff. Tell me about you growing up in that space, particularly as it relates to money or wealth. You know, it's funny uh, you say that because I feel like my kids are more aware of it at their age than I was when I was younger. I feel like, I, I don't want to say I was oblivious to it, but we, we grew up in like a, a nice home. It wasn't like the smallest. It wasn't like the big mansion, but I definitely had friends on both of those sides. I had people who, at the time, I didn't, again, I didn't think twice about it. Now, I remember going to one of my friend's houses growing up and it was one of those like huge ultra mansions. The whole basement was an arcade, literally. They were obviously well off. I just saw it, like I, it wasn't in my mind, of, I want that or I wish I had that. It was more like, cool, I just want to go to his house and play. Like that was just my mentality. And, you know, I was into sports, so we would go outside and play basketball anyways. But I, I mean, I was aware that obviously this is an amazing house and, and wealth. And then I had another friend who it was at the time, again, I didn't think of it. I just, I liked the mom's cooking. We go over and have dinner <laughs> there. So like I was thinking more of the food aspect than the, the money, but it was a very, very modest house, almost like going, looking back, then that part of the area was not nice you know, the nicer area and it was kind of run down. I didn't really pay attention to it. We were running around outside. I feel like my kids are very aware of that. Like, wow, their house isn't like I would, I would never say, wow, I want that or that house is nice or they have a huge house. I wouldn't really make those comments. Maybe I would think like I'd know subconsciously that was the case, but look, you know, now, like you said, in the area, I'm still in this area you know, I have to be like, listen, kids, this is not normal. Like this is not normal society, right? Even what would be considered in some of these neighborhoods, small houses are really big or nice houses somewhere else. So I have to be kind of, I feel like conscious with the kids to be like, you're seeing this? Like, because th the funny thing is some of their friends had made comments like, our house is bigger than your, like, just comments that would never come out of my mouth as a kid. Like, our house is bigger than yours, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I can't believe someone would even say that at that age, let alone think it. Um, but I'm like, our house is great. Like, it's, it's fine, you know? It's, but um, it is interesting. It, it makes you, at least thinking, looking back, thinking I, the people at the big houses, I was like, oh, I, at the time, I didn't even think, oh, what did they do? I wonder about like now I'd be like, oh, I wonder what that person does for a living and be interested in how, what their career was. At that point, I had no, no thought about it. See, that's so interesting to me because I, and probably being the introspective person that I am, I, I thought about it probably way too mm. much. Yeah. Because what it turned into for me is, and I didn't realize this until much later in life, looking at some of my biggest challenges. Like I've had huge issues with money, as you probably know, like I filed bankruptcy. I was living out of my office at one point in time, all this other crap. And what I was able to trace that to, of course, obviously multiple things, but one was growing up in that area and 
recognizing the, the what I thought to be was just gross materialism. Hmm. And then myself wanting to push so far away from that, mm. that I, I went the total opposite extreme, which obviously I don't recommend anybody do. And I did not, do that. <laughs> I did not do that consciously, but I think that really I, I had almost such a disdain for it when I was young, because I would see these people that I, I felt like just didn't care about anything. They didn't have the true value of money. Yeah. Like they didn't care about other people. They didn't care about anything other than like, oh, I'm going to buy my kid a brand new, really hot, fancy car for their 16th birthday. So yeah. there was that. And of course, as I have matured, I've realized too, I probably also wanted to be that kid who was getting the car for the 16th birthday. So I had this like push pull mentality yeah. with money. And I think it really screwed me up. I mean, yeah. I allowed it to really screw me up. Yeah quite a while. So it's so fascinating to me that you had like an opposite experience. I I would argue, I'm like, I mean, obviously screwed you up is a strong word, but I think, you know, being in that position, I think about that for myself, made me what I am today. Meaning like the mentality was, so one of my grandfathers grew up in the depression and totally that like gets passed down. Absolutely. You know, like if you leave like an apple core on the table, they're like, why didn't you finish the rest of it? Like, what do you mean? There's nothing on there. What do you mean? Like, what else do you want me to eat? So there was a mentality of like scarcity somewhat. You ha you're lucky to have anything and you finish what you have. Mm -hmm. and, and my other grandfather on the other side was a Holocaust survivor. And so basically came to the US with nothing, you know? And so they both lived in very modest, houses. So there wasn't like money passed down. I mean, like you said, there's definitely friends like looking back. I, I honestly, because I didn't live it, I didn't know, even know what a trust fund was or anything. I wasn't aware of it. But looking back, you could see, oh, these people had a lot of money passed down to them and they were able to buy the new cars and whatever. I just used my mom's minivan to drive around. <laughs> right. And that's what I used. And even I bought it off of them when I left when I went to chiropractic school, I bought their minivan because I'm like, oh, cool. And that was, that was kind of cool because I just, I didn't have a nice new car, but like I had, you know, we jammed 10 friends into the minivan and that was like the cool place to be. So I literally, when I bought the car from them, I drove a minivan like in chiropractic school. Like that's what I drove. I'm like, cool. Like it was fine. I think it comes from that mentality. But by the way, I think that I had to work on myself a lot with my relationship with money too because there's a scarcity mindset. And so I would constantly listen to try and correct that mindset. And so there's an opposite negative effect of that, meaning like there, there's a positive effect, I think, to some of the people who had money, like the world is their oyster. They could do whatever they want. They felt like there was an abundance mentality with money. And my relationship, I wasn't pushing it away or anything, but I was definitely like, I need to have a better relationship with money. And even now I am always working on it, not thinking in a scarcity. Like if I go to the grocery store, I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, like, is <laughs> it really going to matter if I save 10 cents from this peanut butter? <laughs> right. When I, if I spend five extra minutes, I just wasted, you know, like, so it, it clicks in my brain, but, be, but before I worked on myself, listening to like the Tony Robbins and all the other people to get my mindset right, I did have a, you know, still work on it.
Yeah, and me too. Me too. I mean, it is a constant, for me, lifelong thing. And that's part of the reason I do this show is like, I want to talk to people about their experiences and their ideas and, and beliefs and all of this stuff. So let me ask you this. What, how would you define wealth? What is wealth to you today? I think as I get older, I would have answered the question differently 10 years ago, but um, I think wealth in general, uh, I don't know who said the quote, I'm not going to butcher it, but wealth is health to me, like first, because I've done a lot of work on that in the past, like two years. You know, if you don't have your health, you probably know the same, if you, you want, you know, the person with the million wishes, you know, when you don't have your health, you only want one, right? right. You want your health. And so to me, that's first, like, wealth is having friends and family and yourself be healthy because really you can't enjoy life. It's harder to enjoy life when you are focused on something. And, and I forget that sometimes, you know, on a daily basis, like we take things for granted, like breathing or being able to taste or whatever it is that people are out there who can't hear, they can't see, right? And so those things we take for granted. So I think for me, it's, it's thinking about and I've, you know, hired a coach in the past year to focus on the things that I am terrible at in my health. And I'm pretty good at a lot of things just because, you know, I did go to chiropractic school. And so that infused in me that mentality of eating healthy and the nervous system being healthy. But my, I have a terrible habit of sleeping, not sleeping. And it's mm. not because I can't sleep. It's just because I love what I do and I'm working all the time and I like working all the time, but it's maybe not healthy, the healthiest. So my sleep would suffer. And I had this mentality of I'll sleep when I'm dead or something, you know, something stupid. (laughs) But, um, but I realized I'm much more productive. I'm much more alert. I'm much healthier with sleep. So I bought the aura ring. Um, and I track my sleep now and I have a health coach who the data gets sent to them every day and they'll text me and say, you slipped off the wagon. Ooh, last night, why'd you get like, why'd you get like three hours of sleep last night? I'm like, I know, oh, yeah. I know, I know. Before it was, you know, maybe it was 80-20. It was like 80% terrible sleep. And by the way, I could, for some reason, I don't know if I've trained that way, but I can survive off of small amounts of sleep. Survive is not like necessarily the best thing, <laughs> but you know, now it's 80. So it'd be like three to five hours, 80% of the week, and then maybe seven, eight hours, 20%. And now it's reversed. It's okay. like, maybe I like slip off the wagon like one or two nights. Like last night, for instance, I, can, I got three hours and 57 minutes according to my aura ring. But, but the previous night I did get like eight and a half hours, which would be a lot. And that's becoming more the norm. I do intermittent fasting on a daily basis. So I fast for 20 hours and eat within a four hour period. Um, on average, I probably eat fast for 21 hours and eat within a three hour period every single day. Um, and I have, uh, an app called zero, which tracks that. So I just hit, you know, when I eat and when I'm fast, just to to track it. Um, ever since I watched some Ted talk on it and I read a couple books and just saw how the research was showing it's, and that may be the, I'm taking the extreme version. Most people do a 16 hours on and, uh, or 16 hours fasting and then, you know, eat within an eight hour period. Yeah. Which, which is not that hard to do really. I think for, for anyone, you just don't snack at night. But um, anyways, to answer your question with wealth, I think that'd be the first layer is like the health piece of things. And then the next, next piece is just like, 
I, I picture, I don't know if, if I equate kind of wealth to financial freedom, meaning like if you have enough money coming in that you can kind of choose to do what you want to do. Um, and um, that could be from investments, that could be from your business, that could be from a number of, of things, but, you know, and accumulating that. Because the first stage is like people think of, and I thought of wealth as far as money goes uh, for many years, but that's just comes secondary when you don't have, when you have your health, you're just assuming your health. So true. So true. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now, because you've mentioned you went to chiropractic school, you are a chiropractor, but you're doing so many other things. So let's talk a little bit about what's up these days. Yeah. World of Jeremy Weiss. I have, a, I have a, you know, weird background. My background's in biochemistry at Wisconsin. And then I went into chiropractic school, you know, through when you run, basically what you don't realize when you become a chiropractor, any professional, you I was running my own business. So I was really a small business. Yeah. Uh, they don't teach you to run a small business in chiropractic school. So what I did after chiropractic school is I actually, one of my friends went to um, Louisville, Kentucky and trained under this chain of offices that taught you the business side. So I moved to Louisville, Kentucky after chiropractic school, moved there for a year because they were training you up. And I basically worked in these chain of clinics and was taught the business systems of running a practice. And That's then, smart. yeah, and then I went back. So the, the program was supposed to invest and help you set up wherever you wanted to go. So they train you for a year, they help you set up, they invest, you pay them back the investment or whatever. The program, I was there for, I don't know, like 10 months and the program dissolved. I think there was financial issues with the program. So is I thought I was gonna go back to Chicago and get some funding to start my own office that quickly disappeared. And uh, so they're like, okay, like we don't have resources. It's time for you to go home. Isn't and that so, ironic that the ones that are teaching you about business like end up folding? Is that weird? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the whole, their current offices didn't fall. I think they, their investment dried up. I, I don't, I don't know the, I never to this day don't know the full thing. I think maybe there was some legal related things with their investors or something. So I'm like, okay, like, I guess I'm going home, <laughs> packed <laughs> my stuff and went back to Chicago and was like, okay, well I'll get a job somewhere. I've never, I don't know. I mean, after college, I had jobs in college and everything, but after college I was like, okay, well I went to these interviews Mindy, and I walked away like with, okay, like I don't really love, I don't want to really work here full time, but I could cover your office. Like they're looking for a full-time associate. I can cover your office for two days a week and do the same as if I was here four days. And they're like, okay. So I booked myself for a year doing office coverage for business, you know, other offices in Chicago. And I probably worked in, covered over 70 offices all over Chicago, just maybe one day here, one day there until I kind of set my, set my roots in one office. So I ended up starting my own office through that. You know, you just learn to run a business. You know, I never knew how to do it. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, you know? Um, but anyways, fast forward today, I still have an office in Chicago. Um, mostly it's run through the massage therapist that I have there. So I spend the majority of my time running Rise 25 which we help people run and launch their podcast. Early on, this was 2008, 
Mindy, I was started podcasting and I reached out to Andrew Warner of Mixergy to have him on the podcast. And we were chatting back and forth. And, you know, it turns out he was, you know, looking for a producer for the Mixergy. And I was like, sure, like, why not? And so we chatted about it. And so I went on to help him. And I was helping him for six years until I was like, I was just too busy with everything else I have going on that I couldn't do it anymore. I really learned the inner workings of the systems and operations of and the fundamentals of and the relationships of a podcast. So that led me to actually podcasting and then meeting John Corker, my business partner. And I'm always, I love being around. It lights me up to be around like-minded entrepreneurs and founders. And I was going to a conference put on by Jason Gaynard in California. I went there a couple of days early to just hang out with friends and, and I'm like, let's get a, let's get a group of people together, you know, 15 people for a mastermind. So I reached out to a couple of people and we got a room and I was like, I need someone on the ground who's going to like run this. Cause I'm in Chicago. So I'm like, Oh, John, I met through the podcasting universe. John, can you help navigate the, you know, logistics of the space and everything? He's like, sure. And so from there, we had a room full of entrepreneurs. We, after we had a day long, by the way, I mean, the funny thing is we had a day long mastermind. It was just like people sharing their challenges. And afterwards we had like an after party that had like another 30 people and people after the event were like, when's your next event? We're like, there's no next event. Like this was just impromptu. We're like, okay, you know, you listen to your potential customers. Like, what would you want? Oh, we'd want it two days, blah, blah, blah. So three months later, we threw another event. Oh, nice. Um, and it was two and a half days instead of one day. And we kept doing that until John and I were like, okay, we're kind of running a business together. Right. So maybe we should formalize it. Um, the funny story is that we like doing stuff that's kind of quirky. I like street magic. So we flew in a mentalist magician for that San Francisco event they did a show at the after party and they did street magic. The funny thing is we didn't really have the budget. We had the budget to pay them for their fee and for their flight, but did not have the budget for their hotel. So I said, there's two options. We can not do it at all or three options, not do it at all. One, you can just fund yourself, your own hotel, or two, I'll get a second bed in my hotel room and you could stay in my hotel room. And my wife was like, are you insane? You're going to let a random magician stay in your hotel room? Like, that's the option. I love this story. And they chose to stay in the room with me, the hotel room. So <laughs> I, after the night, it, by the way, I'm like, I saw him on the Craig Ferguson show. He looked normal. Like I saw his stuff. <laughs> but after the night, we went back and it was like an old friend. He, he slept in one bed and I slept in the other bed and we chatted for like another hour or so. and then. So anyways, we just this, made it work. I, this is like how really entrepreneurialism works. You make it up as you go and you're like, hey, we need to be roommates tonight. Okay, <laughs> let's figure it out. Yeah, that my is, wife is like, uh, awesome. are you sure that you want a room with a random magician? I'm like, he's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about putting it. Putting it out. I, don't wanna, I have nothing that valuable in my suitcase. Like if he takes my whole suitcase, <laughs> there's nothing that valuable anyway. So what's the downside? Well, I love it. I love it. So Jeremy, yeah. I have this framework that I go through with all the guests on this show. And what it does is it allows the listener to glean some wisdom and knowledge from 
ways that you live your life because a lot of people I have on this show are doing great things, really successful, and listeners are like, hey, well, how do I get more of that? So this is a really easy framework that helps them do that. It's called HERB, H-E-R-B, and I'm kind of going to jump through the H because you really already spoke to it. H is habits, and you talked mm-hmm. about fasting and sleep and the aura ring, all that stuff. So I want to dive right into the E, which is environment. Now, let me set this one up because for those of you that are not seeing what I am seeing right now, Jeremy's environment is stark. (laughs) 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 So talk to me about your environment, and not just in your office where you are now, but just in general. How do you set up your environment in terms of what you allow in or want in and maybe don't allow in at all? I feel like, especially being a practitioner, and I have for many years had people come into my office and everything, I feel like I'm very sensitive or aware to people's positivity or negativity. They're nice or not nice or whatever. I get a sense of that pretty quickly. So my environment, I like to keep positive people around me and I like to just not in a negative way but if it's someone's just negative it's just life is too short so the first thing is like who I want to communicate with who I want to be around and if I feel like I just get a bad vibe even if I call a customer support like of a company and I get a bad vibe I'll like hang up and call back and try and get someone else just just so I get a good vibe, you know? So the first is people environment and I'm just sensitive to people's, I mean, energy is a little too woo, but like people get a sense if someone's positive or, or maybe just in a bad mood. So that's the number, that's the first thing I just try and I'm sensitive about that. Number two, I guess is my environment in general. I'm, I'm, I am, I don't know, like most people, like maybe a creature of habit. So if I'm working, I like things kind of just walking up and it's set up so I can, not think about a lot of things except for what I think are maybe the more important things. So I just have things kind of set up so I can just stroll in and, you know, Stark, I don't know if it has anything to do with this kind of, I'm, I'm, I guess I don't really care about, it's not a big priority because someone for the longest time, if you're looking, you know, you see like something behind me of the rise 25 sign thing, but like I should probably decorate this or get something, but I just, <laughs> It's not a priority for me, I guess. But that's environment. Just my environment is uh, things are set up so that I can do the most important things and focus on the most important things. And from a people environment, that's what I would say is just making sure I'm always kind of filtering out who's positive. I like that a lot and think it's super important. So let's move to the R in HERB. R stands for resources. And you mentioned a couple of them when you talk about your, your money, you know, learning about your relationship with money. But what other resources, they could be books, programs, courses, mm. coaches, whatever, that have really, really impacted you and you would recommend to others? Yeah, so from books or courses, you know, I listen to Audible. So I probably listen to two to six books per week on Audible. So I only could do that because I listen in like 2.6 speed you do, um, really? Yeah. That is amazing. How do you even understand what they're saying? You know, it started off going from 1 to 1.5. I, you know, in YouTube, I'm almost frustrated that it only goes at two times speed. But, oh but um, when you start doing it, everything in 1.5, it's fast, but it's totally doable. So, yeah, I can get up to two. Yeah. Beyond two, I'm kind of like, yeah, no. 
You know, it's just a training thing. I think certain people are, if they read too fast or talk too fast, it's hard to do 2.6. So there's some people like I, you just can't, it's like, you can't understand it. But like you said, two, like you get up to 1.5, like, oh, 1.5 to two, two's, two's a good rate. But from Audible, like, you know, you had one of the best people, like I rave about the book. You had Chris Voss on your podcast. So I encourage everyone to check out that podcast with Chris Voss with Never Split the Difference. And the funny thing is, Mindy, I got that book. You know, he's an F- FBI, ex-FBI hostage negotiator. But um, I got it because of parenting. That's why I got the book. Because yeah. when the kids are like, I'm not going to put this on. I'm not going to, I'm not going today. I'm like, it's like a terrorist. I mean, it's not like a terrorist, but it's like trying to negotiate with terrorists. So I'm like, I, someone recommended that book. I'm like, I'm getting it because I, I just need some kind of tactics with the kids. And so that's why I ended up reading that book. Um, not for business reasons. It was for parenting reasons. I figured if he can teach methods on hostage negotiating with terrorists, I can use the same strategies on my kids. His work is amazing. From a, you know, Tony Robbins told, I mean, I used to listen in my car to the audio cassette tapes of Personal Power and Personal Power 2, and those are huge. I've listened to almost all of Tony Robbins' programs on audio cassette tape, almost every single one multiple times. So I've, I have so many, like my audible favorites, depending on what someone is thinking, and I go down the rabbit hole, like Tony Robbins. I remember recommending, he's like, my favorite books, like Man's Search for Meeting. So I'm like, oh, I'll read Man's Search for Meeting, which is by Viktor Frankl, which is, which has been impactful. Obviously, Viktor Frankl is, uh, was a Holocaust survivor. And so his mentality. And so it kind of each resource kind of takes me down a rabbit hole, but there's so many amazing resources and depends what, you know, what I'm focused on or what I'm interested in. For me, I think, Right, what I do now with Rise Twenty Five, I'm focused on story. I, I just think the best stories make for whatever it's a podcast or a movie or a TV or whatever. So, I Tell to Win, Made to Stick. Those books are all about how you tell the best stories. Those are some of the resources. I mean, I can go on and on, but that's I don't know. <laughs> I know, like I always, I love. That's my favorite question because that's you know I love that too. But I'm like, this could be like a 14 hour show. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me want to ask you, like, what are your favorite? But this is this is your thing, so I'm not going to flip the script on you. Okay, last question. This is the B to finalize our herb framework. The B stands for beliefs. Hmm. What are some of your core beliefs, either about how you see the world, how the world works, how people are, whatever it may be, but your core beliefs that have really helped you become who you are and have the success that you've had today? Yeah, it's a, it's a interesting question. What my mind goes to is on inspiredinsider.com, the about page. For many years, by the way, I had no idea what drove me. Like I was just driven like I'm running from something even though I'm not, right? And so I thought about that and what I realized one day was what drives me, there's a video on my about page, which is of my grandfather, and you know he was a Holocaust survivor, and so his legacy lives on because they did an interview with him. I remember, you know, watching that interview, and at the end, he talks about going through all this stuff that he went through, and he talks about some of the the, the atrocities. He learned. They asked him at the end, "What did you learn from all this? Like, what do you make of all this? Because you could hate people." And he said, you know, I learned I should love people. 
and I hate people. And so I feel like I try to come from a core belief. Like if someone is having a bad, you know, is something you know negative or whatever, instead of being mad at that person thinking, what is that person going through that is making them mad? And I, they're not taking it personally. And it kind of goes into the four agreements. You know, one of the four agreements is one of my favorite books too, is don't take anything personally, which is hard to do. But I think it's not personal to me. Like maybe there's going through something right now. And so core belief is, yeah. And the core belief, I guess, is trying to come at it from someone else, some, someone else's shoes, not taking it personally. And that, by the way, means positive too. If they're super nice to me, it's also not personal. They're just probably a super nice person, you know, just <laughs> right. But that's a core belief is to try and come at it from a more loving perspective than a accusatory or negative perspective. I think that helps with, with framing in a lot of, like if someone cuts me off on the highway, I'm not like, what a jerk. I mean, right. that person, maybe they're late to work. Maybe, you know, who knows? And another core belief from like a business standpoint, more that's more personal, is a mentorship. I believe in going with people who you want to be like in different avenues. And in they've, they've been there, done that. Like if I want to learn about marriage, go to someone who's been married for 60 years and or business somewhere where I want to be future and finding a mentor has been there and done that. Yeah, well, and you live that out. That's that's where we met at our mutual friend Brian Kurtz's mastermind on copywriting. Like that's where you and I connected. So I've I've seen examples of that in your life. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's a good example because Brinkers is not just like an amazing business person. He's an amazing human being, right? Yeah. And it's just someone. I'm like, yeah, I want to be around someone like that who treats people like that, who's like that in business and in his life. You know. Totally. Well, Jeremy, this has been absolutely delightful. It's always fun to connect with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been amazing. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes. And please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of The Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.